My topic today is when church and state unite. I'm going to talk today about the beast that comes up in the last days, comes up as a lamb, but ends up speaking as a dragon the power that enforces the mark of the beast. Before I talk about this amazing subject, I want to introduce to you my friend and my wife, Beverly. This story is especially for the boys and girls. Imagine a bird that lives almost its entire life at sea far from the sight of land. It lives in the Arctic waters of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans and numbers in the thousands, some say even millions. Do you know its name? It's a puffin. Not a muffin, but a puffin. And as I said, they live most of their lives on the ocean. In winter, they face storms in which rolling waves may tower 50 feet or higher. Puffins only return to land at nesting time, mainly between June to August. And even then, they usually head to islands in the ocean. Puffins generally mate for life and lay one egg a year that is built either in a burrow in the ground or in the cleft of a rock. A baby puffin is called a puffling. At the tender age of two months, the puffling leaves the nest for his new home far out on the ocean. The puffin chicks remain in the open ocean until they are two or three years old before they take their first holiday back to the island. How do puffins survive in their salty ocean world? Well, they don't have a problem because God has given to them a life jacket. Short feathers all over a puffin's body traps a layer of air next to the bird's skin, and this trapped air helps them to stay afloat. It also acts as a blanket as it prevents the cold ocean waters from reaching the bird's skin. Now, we humans cannot survive long without fresh water, and drinking only salt water would soon kill us, but not the puffin. Even though he only has the salty ocean water to drink, he survives quite well, because once again, God has done something marvelous. These birds have a pair of salt glands located just above their eyes. The glands take the salt from the blood, which then is transformed into liquid, which then passes out through the passages in the bird's nostrils. And boys and girls, that's why a puffin always carries a big handkerchief. <laughs> Just kidding, of course. But if you'd like to learn more about this remarkable bird, click on to www.projectpuffin.org. Our second bird story begins with a young girl called Jennifer. It's the middle of winter. Outside, a light snow has begun to fall, and it's cold and windy, and it's getting dark. Young Jennifer is watching out the front window, waiting for her parents to come home. All of a sudden, thump on the window, and she jumps with fright. But as she looks out, she sees a bird lying in the snow. And then thump, thump, two more birds crash into the window. She puts on a heavy coat and rushes outside to try and help them. But as she does, she sees there's dozens and hundreds of birds flying around, squawking and squeaking, and more are crashing into the window. And she wonders, what can I do? And then she realizes it's the lamp. It's attracting them to its warmth. So she rushes inside and turns out the lamp. But then thump, thump at the back of the house. And she rushes around the house and turns out all the lights. And then she dashes outside once again, trying to shush the birds away, but to no avail. And then she gets an idea and rushes over to the big barn, opens the doors, turns on the lights, and sure enough, some of the birds begin to fly into the warmth of the light. She runs outside again, and now she's trying to shush them into the barn, but of course the birds don't understand. And then she becomes so frustrated, and Jennifer thinks to herself, 
If only I be, could become a bird and could speak their language and could tell them, go into the light where the warmth is. And then it dawns on her. That's why Jesus was born. He became one of us to speak our language so that he could tell us where safety was. And you know, boys and girls, whenever you feel afraid or lost, just run to the light, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, because he has promised to always be our safe place. I'm so glad today to introduce attorney Alan Reinick. Alan comes originally from the great city of New York. He has a Jewish background, but is a Christian believer. He is the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church State Council. Today we're going to talk about the separation of church and state. Would you please welcome Attorney Reinick. Alan, we're glad that you're here today. Why is the separation of church and state in the United States of America and around the world so important? It's a great question, John, and I'm very pleased to be here. With separation of church and state expresses something very fundamental about the way God is, about the way the church is. Our religious obligations, we owe as Christians to God alone, not to Caesar. And Caesar really has no authority or right to determine what is truth, to tell us how to believe, how to worship, what day to worship on. Separation of church and state simply recognizes uh, the authority of God and the limited jurisdiction of the state. What happens when church and state become united? Well, it's a corruption of both church and state for the two to unite. The church is to rely upon the power of God alone, and the state's power, again delegated by God, is limited to matters that are civil. When the two become intertwined, historically it always leads to oppression, if not outright persecution. And so you're saying that when church and state unite, uh, as happened in the Dark Ages, there's the persecution by the church through the state of religious minorities. This leads to my next question. Do you see things happening today in this great land of the United States that causes you to think that the wall between church and state is being eroded, even destroyed? No question, John. Religion in America is supposed to be wholly voluntary, and that's the genius. That's why we have such a vital uh, religion, why we have a Bible belt even in America that we don't have in the rest of the Western world. But really, the attack on the wall of separation is twofold. Number one, the church is looking to the state to put it on welfare for government funding, for a handout. Mm. We see that with the desire for vouchers and the funding of Christian schools, which will mean the end of Christian education as we know it because we'll become simply another form of public school. We see it with the faith-based initiative and the church is wanting funding from the state for the church to preach the gospel and, and use social services as a means of getting people into the church. But we see it beyond the funding arena. We see the church asking the state to promote the gospel itself, to do the work of God because the church somehow lacks the spiritual power to do it herself. What do I mean? Uh, battles, for example, over the Ten Commandments. When have you seen the churches promoting the Ten Commandments on their own property? We want to promote them on public property. Uh, we need, as Christians, to teach the Ten Commandments and to teach the new covenant that God wants to write the law upon the hearts. We don't need government to do it for us. As a Christian with a Jewish background, do you believe that there is anything in the Word of God that warns us about the final union of church and state and the persecution of people who uh, don't go along with the majority? There's no question the final warning message that, that all of God's people, that we're 
call to give to the world is a warning about what happens when the church loses spiritual power, substitutes the power of the state, and begins to write, as it were, on the congressional record the law of God and, or, or their interpretation of it, instead of allowing God to write it upon the hearts. And then when church and state unite again to coerce worship, to legislate and regulate religious belief and practice, then it is coercive, it becomes a persecuting power, and God himself is dishonored because he becomes seen as a tyrant who says, you do it my way or I kill you. I have been amazed since I've lived in this great place to hear well-known preachers of the gospel say that the separation of church and state is not American, it is communist. Can you comment on this? Have you heard this? I have heard it more times than I can tell you. And I think part it, it, this propaganda has taken over the Christian world, and part of it is simply a fundraising device. It's a way of getting Christians angry enough to give and to promote what is essentially uh, an attempt to, to take the Bible belt and strangle as a noose around America's neck and, and strangle us with, with force-fed religion. Alan, a little later on, we're going to do, not today, but you and I are going to do an interview on church and state and the coming world dictatorship. And uh, we're looking forward to having you on our Carter Report television program. And we thank you for coming to the Community Adventist Fellowship Church today. I appreciate being here very much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Have you seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a great story. One of the stars is a young Scotsman. and He believes in the keeping of the Sabbath. And when the team goes to uh, perform in the Olympic Games in France, he finds that uh, his race is on the Sabbath, as he understands it. So he says, I'm not going to run on the Sabbath. Now, because he's England's star, he's in a lot of hot water. What about Great Britain? What about your nationality? God, you see, God is first, then king and country, and not necessarily in that order. So, he's brought in before the Prince of Wales, who is going to be the next king. And uh, the Prince of Wales says to him, uh, you know, old chap, that uh, we're really depending on you. And there comes a time when an Englishman has to make some sacrifices for the greater good. Therefore, we would like you to lay aside just for a little while your Sabbath keeping and uh, run for Great Britain. He says, no, because God must be first and I plan to keep the Sabbath. And so the committee meets and they let him run on another day and he wins the race. But Chariots of Fire makes the all-important point that it's not country ahead of God, it is God always first. Today we're going to talk about the enforcement of the mark of the beast in the name of the state and in the name of religion. The topic is when church and state unite. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation 13 verses 11 and onwards. Revelation chapter 13 and verses 11 and onwards. This is a subject that is seldom preached, seldom preached. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, 
he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and a slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Bible prophecy makes it very, very plain that in the last days, church and state will unite together to enforce religious laws. Now, I'm sure that many of you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, by Mel Gibson. You saw Christ being flogged by the state at the instigation of the church. What happened to Christ was because of the union of the church and the state. Bible prophecy tells us that what happened to the sinless Christ will also happen to the church in the last days. This is a truth that is seldom understood. Let me say it again. What happened to Christ happens to the church in the last days. Let me illustrate. We have firstly the commencement of Passion Week with the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey as a king. He draws attention to himself and to the gospel. So in the last days, there will be the great preaching of the everlasting gospel, just as Jesus had this triumphal entry, so the message of God is going to be given public display. After this, Jerusalem became polarized. There were some for Jesus and there were some against him. There was apostasy in Christ's party. One of his own disciples went over to the other side. The religious leaders, because of the preaching of Christ and the gospel, they went to the government. Can you believe it? The Pharisees went to Pilate. The Sadducees and the rest went to Herod. And so you have the union of church and state. It will happen again. And then there was a death decree. Put this man to death. Put this man to death. It will happen again. And then there came the little time of trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is going to be a little time of trouble right around the world in the last days. And then there was the greater time of trouble on the cross. Notice what happened on the cross. There was a dark day. The sun was blotted out. There was the cry, it is finished. In the last days there is the cry, it is done. There was a great earthquake. There'll be a great earthquake in the last days. And then there was a resurrection and deliverance as it happened to Christ, so it will happen to the church in the last days. So, what they did to Christ, they will do to the followers of Christ. There will be a death decree, there'll be a time of trouble such as never was because of the union of church and state. Come back to the prophecy. Revelation 13 and verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, 
but he spoke like a dragon. Now, you notice the words, another beast. If there's another beast, there must be a beast that precedes this beast. And this beast is described here in Revelation 13 and verse 1. Would you please notice this? And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. Notice where he comes from. Where does he come from? Ah, remember this? He comes from the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound and the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the, to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. I don't have time to give you a verse-by-verse verse exegesis of this passage. But here is a beast that is obviously Roman because of those crowns that represent the kingdoms of Europe. And this is a beast or a power or a nation that is a composite beast. It has the elements of Babylon, the line, the bear, Medo-Persia, and Greece. And this is a power that gets its authority from the dragon. And in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon is pagan Rome. This is a power that rules the world for 1260 years. This is a description of the Dark Ages when the state church ruled the world. This is a picture of the medieval church that God calls in his holy word the Antichrist because the union of church and state is the very essence of Antichrist. And so when we hear preachers saying that the separation of church and state is something that is abhorrent to God, they are really worshippers of the beast because that is the theology of the beast who believes in the union of church and state. This power that arose in Europe on the ruins of the Roman Empire that persecuted the people of God for more than a thousand years was a power that was noted for its pride, arrogance, intolerance, its tradition, and its great religious bureaucracy which is called a hierarchy. And a system of church government that is based on hierarchy is the very essence of Antichrist. Irrespective of the name that is given to it, the first beast is the union of church and state that ruled the world for more than a thousand years and that received a deadly wound from General Berthia, one of the generals of Napoleon Bonaparte in 1798. You say, where do you get these weird ideas? These so-called weird ideas were the bread and butter 
of the early Americans, theologically speaking. This was believed by the Puritans and the Pilgrims and later on by the great churches like the Lutherans and the Methodists and the Episcopalians and the Baptists who stood strongly for the separation of church and state. Why was America founded, pray tell me? One of the greatest problems I was talking to Attorney Reinick about today is the sheer ignorance. Pardon my saying it. Many people who call themselves Americans do not know what America stands for. America stands for freedom. Freedom to worship God. Freedom from the tyranny of church and state. This is why the Pilgrim Fathers came here. And yet today we have preachers saying such ignorant, outlandish statements that the separation of church and state is communist. My friend, it is as American as apple pie. This first beast is the union of church and state that dominated the old world and that persecuted the founding fathers of the United States. And back to the prophecy. Please notice what it says here in Revelation uh, 13 and verse 11. The second beast. And then I saw another beast, another power coming up out of where? The earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. I want you to notice this very, very carefully as I give you the identification marks of this power. Firstly, notice the place from whence he comes. He does not come, my friend, from the old world that is likened to the sea. All the beasts of Daniel 7, the lion, the leopard, the bear, the monster, they all came up out of the sea, representing the peoples of the earth. The papacy, that is the first beast of Revelation 13, arose from the sea. But this power comes not from the old world, but from the new, because he comes up out of the earth. That is the first identification mark. Notice the character. This power arises primarily not in the lust of conquest, but as a lamb. And a lamb is peaceful and gentle. And a lamb is the representation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This power arose as a haven for the oppressed people of Europe because they believed in the gospel. He comes up out of the earth and he comes up after the demise of the medieval church. One of the great preachers of... Uh, two or three hundred years ago of the 18th century, was the great John Wesley, the man who raised up the great Methodist church. And John Wesley, when he was studying this prophecy, wrote these words, he is not yet come. Writing this in the 18th century, he is not yet come, for he is to appear at the end of the 42 months of the first beast. So John Wesley said, he is still to come. And uh, he is here today, as you know. I have here today a book that was written by an American patriot. American through and through. In fact, uh, we have some of the uh, family members descendants of this wonderful person who wrote this great book, 
the great controversy. What nation of the new world, she asks, was in 1798 rising into power, giving promise of strength and greatness, and attracting the attention of the world? The application of the symbol admits of no question. One nation, and only one, meets the specifications of the prophecy. It points unmistakably to the United States of America. And so the beast that comes up in the new world, and that comes up as a lamb, represents the United States of America. America, indeed, has a wonderful and a glorious heritage. America was founded not by communists or by atheists, but by people who believed in God and who came to this country because they wanted freedom to worship God. That is why today America talks so much about freedom because America believes in freedom. America believes in religious freedom and political freedom. America believes in liberty. Now if you've come from a country like some of you have where you don't have liberty you wonder how that young Marine could get away with talking to Mr. Rumsfeld like he did. Some people have said to me, well, what's going to happen? Is he going to get shot? Somebody said, of course not. He's an American. He has the right to say what he believes. If you don't come from a country that understands this, you can be glad that you live in America. In this country, people have the right to worship God and to say what they believe. It's called freedom of speech and freedom of religion. This country, the country of the Lamb, was separated on the belief of the separation of church and state. Let me read to you the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, Congress, stay out of the church. Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so today... As Attorney Ronick said, some parts of this great land, uh, we have language which would make the Pilgrim Fathers shudder. We have language and talk. We have them saying, we need to have a state church. And we need to proclaim that Christ is the King of the United States of America. And we need to enforce religious laws. I want you to notice the alarming prophecy because it describes here a transition that we wish we could ignore. Revelation 13 and verse 11. Then I saw another beast, another nation, coming up out of the earth. That's Protestant America. He had two horns like a lamb because he defends the gospel. But he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. The Bible says that in the last days the great 
power that arose to defend freedom is going to speak as a dragon and have a worldwide influence. Not only will the great nation tell the people what to do, it'll tell the nations of the earth what to do because it's the last superpower. And more than this, it'll tell the nations of the world to join forces with the papacy. That's the beast that was wounded by the sword and lived. If you read on in the prophecy, it becomes even more detailed. Verse 13. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. People say, what does this mean? Is this talking about America letting off atom bombs? No, 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 no. No, no, no. This is an allusion to the work of the prophet Elijah. Back in the Old Testament, Elijah, the true prophet of God, brought down fire from heaven. In the last days, there is going to be a false prophet, a false prophetic movement. Remember, at Pentecost, fire came down and rested on the disciples. These verses describe a false Pentecost. In the last days, the great religious forces of the greatest nation in the world are going to have a great false revival. And they're going to say, God is with us. And the church of Rome is going to come in and bless the union of the churches and uh, the union of the state and the church. Read on. Verse 14, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, the papacy, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Look at me. The Bible says that Protestant America, the defender of freedom, is going to set up an image to the papacy. Now, an image is a copy. If I say to Schondor, your little boy is the image of you, poor little fellow, if I, say, <laughs> if I say he is the image of you, it means he looks like you. He's a chip off the old block. The Bible says the Protestant America, the defender of the separation of church and state, is going to say we're going to set up an image, not a literal image, but we're going to have a copy of the papacy. The image of the beast is a copy of the papacy. Now, what is the papacy? The papacy is an apostate church that relies upon miracles and that is joined to the state and that enforces religious laws. Let America set up an organization that is composed of a union of church and state. Let that union enforce religious laws and we have the image of the beast. And the Bible says that the image of the beast is going to speak and tell people who do not conform that they're going to be put to death as they put Christ to death. 
as church and state united together and put Christ to death. So in the last days, church and state will unite to put the people of God to death. Listen very carefully. There will be a death decree. Let me read it to you. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. This is a death decree. Now, remember the passion of the Christ. The Pharisees went to Rome. The church leaders went to Pilate, to Herod. So will it be. Now you may say this to me because this is a very difficult subject to present, particularly here in this country. People say, if what you're saying is true, then perhaps the things that we're seeing today happening in America and in the world, perhaps these things are a fulfillment of what, is, of what the prophecy says. The book Great Controversy, written more than a hundred years ago, says, based on this prophecy, church and state are going to unite and there are going to be religious laws and there's going to be persecution. You say, but no, never. We are Americans. There has been a steady erosion of the separation of church and state. The most famous preachers in the world are calling American preachers, are calling the separation of church and state. These are the people who once called themselves the moral majority. They now call themselves the Christian Coalition which is joined to the Church of Rome, and they are saying, we need to control the government of the United States so that we will have the enforcement of the laws of Christ. Sounds good. If you go to 95% of people in the streets and say, what do you think of enforcing the laws of God? They'll say, wonderful. That is antichrist. That is antichrist. That is antichrist. How could it happen? Much more easily since 9-11. Could you imagine if Vice President Dick Cheney is correct and we do have a nuclear attack upon American soil? He said it is not a case of if it is a case of when. You imagine if these evil terrorists, these religious fanatics, these men brainwashed Bin Laden and co, if they smuggle into this country a nuclear weapon, and did you know that 95% of the containers that come through the, uh, the ports are not even checked. Did you know that? 95% of the stuff, the containers, they're not checked. Did you know that Russia is a loose cannon which is already starting to flex her muscles again? But inside Russia, it is a state of chaos. and They can be losing nukes every day and they don't even know it. Especially when the young men who are guarding the nukes are getting $25 a month. A million dollars would go a long way as a bribe. Dick Cheney says, not if, when. Tommy Franks, who led the invasion of Iraq, to overthrow the dictator, said this, if we have a nuclear explosion on American soil, Americans will give up their liberties for security. 
Tommy Franks, this great American general, has gone on record as saying, America will give up on democracy and become a military police state. So I say to you, it is not a case of if, it is a case of when. You say, why aren't the people in the Christian coalition preaching these things because they are the ones who are fulfilling the prophecy. That is why. And remember, evil men like Ben Laden are intelligent, resourceful, determined, and patient like their master Satan. We will soon see a grand coalition of the papacy, Protestants, and other groups with the US government to save the world from destruction in the name of God. Would you please notice the prophecy, Revelation 13, 16, and 17. And of course, we Adventists have been preaching this now for well over a hundred years. People laughed at us. Now we see they're not laughing so much because they're doing it. Revelation 13, 16, 17. He also forced everyone, forced, you see? He forced. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. I do not have time to uh, exegete these verses. But the word mark in the scriptures means a sign. And the Bible says that this grand coalition is going to have a mark or a sign of their authority. I proclaim to you that from Genesis to Revelation, God has a sign. It is the sign of liberty. It is the sign of the true gospel. It is the Sabbath. Now, I will have people say, oh, but that's legalism, that's this, this is something else. My friend, uh, the Bible teaches the Sabbath. And for all of those groups out there who want to put the Ten Commandments in the schools and in the state courthouses and in the White House and everywhere else, the commandments of God ought to be written by the Spirit of God on the hearts of the people. And if you, and if you are so keen to have the commandments everywhere, start with keeping the Sabbath. Because that's the fourth commandment for crying out loud, for crying out loud. It's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day, but they will say, we have another day, and by our authority we, we changed it. As I said in the Council of Trent, yes, we changed the day. We change the day, said the papacy. It is the mark. It is our sign. You know what's going to happen? I think there's no doubt that Dick Cheney is right. Not if, but when there'll be a great catastrophe and uh, church and state will unite together and they're going to say, not only will we have the United States of America, we will have the United States of the world. And the papacy will say, thank God for you. And then they'll say, we need to have something that shows that we belong to Christ. And they will have the counterfeit Sabbath. And that, my friend, when it is enforced, is the mark of the beast. So, I want to tell you folks something. We're living in serious times and Jesus is coming soon. 
and the prophecies are being fulfilled. All you folks who say, I'm so glad that Jesus is coming soon. Let me tell you folks something, that's easy. But before Jesus comes, there's going to be the reign of terror, the union of church and state, and the mark of the beast, and the death decree, and martyrs. So there's not going to be, and martyrs. But there won't be any martyrs. And martyrs. There'll be martyrs. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Let me tell you, folks, we need to seek the Lord. We need to be intelligent Bible Christians who are not brainwashed by that stupid little box we've got in our living rooms that has destroyed the minds of the people so they can't think straight, so they can't think attention span. 30 seconds. Do you want to be like that? If you're like that, you'll get the mark of the beast. We need to be a Bible-reading people. We need to be a praying people. We need to be an evangelistic people who preach the gospel. We need to be an independent thinking people. You know, people who belong to big hierarchies don't like you to talk about independence. You can get the mark of the beast and be in any religion. This one too. Because the mark of the beast means conformity to earthly authority. So I'm telling you, in this great conflict, there's the Lamb, the gospel of Christ, grace alone, faith alone, Christus alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. That's the true gospel. That's the true gospel. On the other side, there's the dragon. Intolerance. Force. Power. The power of the flesh. The union of church and state. The traditions of man. And hell and damnation. You and I ought to say, with a little good old-fashioned American courage and independence with the faith of the Puritans in our bloodstreams. We ought to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and be obedient. So help us God. Amen and amen.